Hey, 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 how y'all doing? Y'all need to get in the habit of coming forward and spitting distance, you know? Because you're back there in the land of Goshen, some of you. Come forward, I promise you I won't spit. Well, I can't make that promise. Hey, how was your holiday? Did everybody have a good time? Heck, can you believe it's 2018? I was just remembering the other day that my daughter broke her arm on New Year's Eve uh, 2000. And it was the Y2K thing, you know? If you take a child to the hospital, will they be able to function? Do you remember that? And I look at her now, and she's 26 years old, and I'm thinking, where has the time gone? It seemed like that happened just yesterday. But one of the ladies, Mary, just said today, makes her feel old. I said, that much closer to heaven. Every time a year ticks off, don't you feel like, yes, we're just that much closer. We are in for a real treat this semester, by the grace of God. I, I was so filled with wonder the other day when I began to remember the very first time that I was introduced to the study of the Wilderness Tabernacle. And it got me to wondering, how long ago was that? To over 20 years now. It surprised me how much time has gone. But this is the Bible study that changed my life. It was through this study that I first learned to see Jesus in every detail on every page. This dear lady, she was in her mid-80s at the time, she presented her love of the tabernacle to our little home school group, and it changed my life. I, I began to see the glory of the Lord woven in every detail like I had never done before, in part because I had been a reader of the Bible, but not a student of the Word of God. And this is the thing that jump-started me and and ignited that fire in my heart and created such a curiosity. And to this day, I still am filled with wonder as I go back and look at my notes and refresh all the things that the Lord has shown me, showed me then and is continuing to show me even to this day. Now, I am a, a part of a small group Bible study with another group of women, and they asked me if I would teach this tabernacle study for them. And because this semester is going to be really busy, I invited Sharon to join me this semester and share some of the things with you that the Lord has been showing her. So come on up here, Sharon, and join me. Ladies, this is Sharon Semler. And I'm so glad you're here with Hello. me today. As am I. Thank you. Um, this group of women, I invited Sharon to join this other small group so that she would be able to study along with me. And what she has done is what I am praying all y'all will do. Every time you are presented with a Bible study, whether it's something brand new to you or something old, you should take that home and become a student. Search the scriptures daily to prove whether these things be so. And this semester has turned out to be busy for both of us. The Lord has opened a lot of ministry doors, and we're walking through every one of them. Indeed. And so I needed some help. Sharon is going to do what I want you to do. She has taken this Bible study and gone and sat alone with the Lord. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it, I, this is actually, this is going to be the third time that I've heard the Wilderness Tabernacle taught by Martha. Um, I am in this small group, as she shared. We go Wednesday night, she picks me up, and we go to Bible study. And then Thursday mornings, I pick her up, and we come to Bible study. So we're just saturated in the Word, and we love it. Um, I am so excited by... 
Um, the, uh, this study is going to be one of my favorites as well. Just what God is doing in my own life and um, taking me places that um, I had not gone before. I'm excited for myself and I'm excited for y'all here too. See, now I sound like you, y'all. <laughs> I never contagious. say that. It's <laughs> contagious. Yes. One of the things I, I pray that the Lord will do for you is what he did for me, and that is just to fill your heart with wonder. Sometimes as we go through this, you're going to wonder, what in the world is that all about? And then other times, the wonder will take place where you say, Lord, you are so wonderful. What is that all about? It's an amazing, deep, rich, fruitful study. And uh, in fact, from the dawn of time, men and women have been filled with wonder. There's even a list. There's a list called the seven wonders of the ancient world. And you've been looking up some information about that, haven't you? I did. Well, thank you, Martha. Um, I like to ask questions, always have, always will. And um, questions like, if um, someone scares the bejeebers out of me, who put the bejeebers in me in the first place? What's a bejeeber? A, a bejeeber, actually, it's a good thing you asked that. Actually, it... <laughs> It, the root word jeebers, that means many leprechauns. Truly? No. no. I made that up you last stinker. night. <laughs> I was buying it. I know you were. See? So gullible. <laughs> so anyway, when Martha asked me to be up here and share with her, I asked her a few questions. I said, um, who came up with this list and why are there only seven wonders? And she said... Good question. Why don't you go find out and let me know? And I did. The current list of seven wonders has been attributed to the poet uh, Antipater or Antipater. I've, I've heard, heard it, it both, both ways. ways. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> He is uh, of Sidon, Antipater of Sidon, who lived around 100 BC. The list was created as sort of an ancient world's counterpart for um, a travel guidebook. Uh, it was originally called the seven sights or things to be seen, and then later on they added the word wonder. All seven of these wonders existed at the same time for a period of less than 60 years. Seven wonders of the ancient world. The list covered only the sculptural and architectural monuments of the Mediterranean Eastern, Middle Eastern areas, and um, which they was comprised as the only known world uh, at that time by the Greeks. Reflecting the rise of Christianity and the factor of time, nature, and the hand of man overcoming Mr. Antipater's Seven Wonders Roman and Christian sites began to figure on the list, including, these are cool, the Colosseum, Noah's Ark was put on a list, so someone had to see it, right? I thought that was exciting. And Solomon's Temple. And to answer the second question, no one knows why the list has only seven numbers, but thereafter it inspired many other lists uh, and different versions throughout the ages. You've probably heard of the seven natural wonders of the world, the seven, ba da ba da So, I wonder if seven, do y'all think that whenever the Lord does something, the enemy wants to counterfeit it in some way? And there are seven days in the week of creation. That maybe that's, that's ingrained in the heart of man, that seven is that number of perfect completion. So we cap things at seven. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Um, 
Is that it? That's that was it. fascinating Thank stuff. You. You're, you're, you're so you're so smart. Okay, you're stop talking off. to me. You're distracting me. So what we have done is uh, compiled artist renditions of these seven ancient wonders. We're going to show you just some various slides about what these things might have looked like and what they look like today. And the only one that still exists today is the Great Pyramid at Giza. This is number one on the list. Anybody been there? For real? Oh, we got to get out more. So this is what an artist thinks it might have looked like because what we see now is a deteriorated version. But again, it's the only one of the seven that still exists. And I think that's beautiful. I think the most beautiful thing about that picture is the creation around it, that beautiful sunset. But some of the facts about this great pyramid, it was built uh, as a tomb for Pharaoh Khufu, and he was considered by himself and his people, he was considered a god. I would like to say that if you need to build a tomb for your god, you need to rethink the whole system. It's amazing what this construction consists of, 480 feet tall of limestone blocks, and some of those blocks were from uh, anywhere from two tons up to 30 tons each. This one pyramid covers 13 acres of ground. That's a lot of real estate for a dead body. Now, that was the tallest building in the world for 3,800 years. That is a wonder. That's an amazing feat of man's ingenuity and tenacity. But what does it look like today? A much less refined version of the original but you can go see it today. It's impressive. And that will bring us to number two on the list. Sharon, number what have you got? Number two on this infamous list, it wouldn't be infamous, just famous. Famous, I guess. Is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, they were built in 600 BC. It was a remarkable feat of engineering with an ascending series of tiered gardens containing a wide variety of trees, shrubs, and vines. It, I would imagine it would look sort of like a giant strawberry plant container as they're coming out. It was said to have looked like an 80-foot green mountain constructed of mud bricks. Modern engineers to this day have yet to discern how they pump the water up to it. The location of these gardens has not been definitely established, nor has the person who built it, but the gardens were allegedly built by King Nebuchadnezzar for his homesick wife, Queen Amethyst, daughter of the King of the Medes. She was uprooted from her lush green homeland and planted on the brown desert floor of Mesopotamia. Any of you that came from California here could identify with her, I'm sure. <laughs> the gardens were destroyed by an earthquake during the second century BC. And what do we have? Do we have a picture of what it looks mm -hmm. like now? There you go. Mm-mm-mm. Ain't so pretty art. That's it. All maybe. Right. And that's a maybe picture because nobody knows where it really was yeah. located. But wherever it was located, it's going to look a lot like that today. Yeah. Or a worse. a yeah. lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of expense to build that hanging garden for a homesick mm -hmm. chick. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Number three Number on this three. list mm -hmm. is the statue. The statue, mind you, not the temple of Zeus. 
This was built around 432 BC, and it took about 12 years to build a statue. Okay, and it's built to a false god. Greek is, uh, excuse me, Greek. Zeus is the Greek king of the gods. The Romans called him Jupiter. And this statue was a wonder because of its size and, and uh, the materials out of which it was built. It was more than 40 feet tall. And a lot of these wonders, the artists have an idea what they look like because they were embossed on coins or medallions and things, but nobody knows exactly how big they were because they don't exist. But he was believed to be roughly 40 feet tall. He was built of ivory and golden plates over a wooden frame. And this guy lived for about 800 years. But in order to keep him from cracking and falling apart, they had to rub him with olive oil all the time for 800 years. Y'all, that's a commitment to a false god right there. <laughs> now, he was supposed to have been holding in his one hand Nike. She is the goddess of victory. So if you're wearing Nike tennis shoes, you know you better get victorious. And then in the other hand, he had a staff with an eagle on top of it. And you will see if you look at um, any kind of pagan culture, the eagle is a really big deal. And I think that's another one of those usurped images because our God speaks of uh, bearing his children on the wings of eagles. So there's a lot of eagle imagery in our Bible as a reference to the true and living God. So every false god's going to want to glom onto that somehow. It's even a big deal even like in the Third Reich. You see eagle imagery there. So here is this guy. He's seated on his throne made of ebony, ivory, and it's inlaid with precious stones. And again, stood for about 800 years until it was destroyed by a fire in the 5th century AD. That's impressive, and it's wonder, but it's a false god. So it's empty, pale, and poor. And that'll bring us to number four on this list. Indeed. Number four is the Temple of Artemis, or Diana. It was built in Ephesus near modern Turkey. It was completely built three times as a shrine to the goddess Hue of fertility. Antipater, compiler of the list, said that six, the other six marvels or wonders lost their brilliance when he saw this structure. It was 425 feet long, almost one and a half football fields, mostly made of marble. It was said to contain amazing artwork. The temple was destroyed by fire, then by water, and then finally by Goths, ancient Germans in 262 AD. Now, you might recall in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul caused quite a stir when he brought the good news of Jesus Christ to oh. Ephesus, remember that? Mm -hmm. And the silversmiths who made those little statues of Diana feared the loss of their livelihood. Sick, ugly little statues. Y'all, I'm sorry, and that's just gross. It's gross. That's she is gross. the many-breasted fertility god, mm -hmm. and people were worshiping that thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what's there. Yeah. That's an ugly, ugly thing. Sick, ugly little statue. Are you yep, done? I'm done. Oh, what does it look I'm like done now? With her. Oh, look now. And all that's left, see that one pillar? That's actually, it isn't one entire, it's a compilation of stones that they found. That's all that's left is that one 
pillar there. They ravaged it. They took a lot of it. They uh, what a lot ha- what happened to a lot of these sites is that they would come and they'd say, "Hmm, what should we build this building with?" Well, let's tear this down and let's go ahead and use these materials. So, anyway, that's what's left. Uh, just a so that background in- for the geese. Incredible Indeed. temple to a false goddess, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then somebody comes along and cannibalizes all the bits and pieces to build something else. And that will bring us to number five. It's the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. I'm I'm glad you asked. Good question. This is in Turkey in modern Bodrum. It was built around 350 BC, made of white marble as a tomb for King Mausolus, hence the name Mausoleum. His wife built this for him. His wife was also his sister because that's how they rolled back in, in their you know, dynasty. And when he died, she said she wanted him to have the most splendid tomb in the world. And so now we call them mausoleums because this thing was such a wonder. She also wanted to honor the artists of her day. So the whole thing, the whole perimeter of her surrounded in amazing statues. And at the very tippy, tippy top, you can see there, there is a four horse chariot. And in the driver's seat, are uh, Mausolus and his sister wife in, uh, in statue form, of course, there. This building was 140 feet high to house a dead man. It's amazing to me. If we were to measure buildings by 10-foot stories, just think, that's a 14-story building to hold that dead body. That's a, a, what a waste of time. Anyway... Uh, it is now roughly looking something like this. And there are bits and bobs of it that have been taken to the British Museum in London, and you can go see them for yourself. You can go, even go online today and look them up and see which pieces they've pulled out of this man's tomb. And that brings us to number six. Number six is the Colossus of Rhodes. And this is like a little cool rabbit trail here, but I do the, the crossword puzzle that you get in with your grocery ads every week. And I try to best the uh, Wayne Robert Williams, and often he does me. But the um, one clue in this week's was Colossus Sight. <laughs> and I went, Rhodes. We got that one right. At least I know I got one right. All right. So that's cool, Judy. Awesome. She's my co-lead, one of the co-leaders in our group. So yay. They paired us right, right? Okay. The Colossus of Rhodes. Um, It was located on the island of Rhodes in modern Greece. He was built between 292 and 280 BC of bronze and iron forged from the weapons of a conquered army, the weapons that were left behind. The Colossus stood 110 feet tall, including the base. In comparison, the Statue of Liberty, which some people think was a representation of this big guy, is 151 feet from base to torch. It was made in honor of the god Helios and stood for only 54 years. Colossus was destroyed in 226 BC by an earthquake. An earthquake, he snapped right at the knees and fell over on the land. It wasn't rebuilt because the people of Rhodes thought they had dishonored their god. Later, the ruins, as with others, were sold for scrap. But Martha, this is a cool little aside, a little tidbit of info that I found out. In 2015, 
a group of European architects announced plans to build a modern colossus at the harbor entrance where tradition places the ancient statue. This new sculpture will be 490 feet tall, five times the original, and include a cultural center, a library, a lighthouse, and more than likely, a Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, we, we mentioned six, but not one item. I know we've got one more. You're going you're gonna to put a cap on this. But, you know, one wonder that is equally impressive is the Great Wall of China. Construction of this monster began around 221 BC and took 2,000 years to complete. It's a wonder, but over that amount of time, it should be. I'm just saying, oh. right? <laughs> if you have 2,000 years to build something, you it better make be. it wonderful. It should be. Did you yes. all get to appreciate what the Colossus of Rhodes looks like now? And that's what you will see if you want to go wander around and walk over this thing that was built to honor a false god. Mm. Now, the last one on the list is the lighthouse at Alexandria. And this is one I can get behind because it had an actual practical purpose. It was built on the small island of Pharos around 290 BC. It was stone-faced, white marble blocks covered the stone face and lead mortar. I don't know about y'all, but isn't lead something we're not supposed to have anymore? So uh, whatever. Uh, it was destroyed in 1303 by an earthquake. And the, again, because of its image embossed on coins and medallions, they speculate that it uh, stood about 450 feet high. And its purpose, of course, was to guide ships into Alexandria's harbor. It was thought to be illuminated by a large fire at the top that reflected off a great bronze mirror so that by day, the, fire, the smoke from that fire would guide the sailors, and at night, it would be the fire itself that would guide them safely home. I wonder where they got that idea. If a, a, a signal of fire and smoke sounds familiar to you, you know where we're headed. If not, buckle your seatbelts because we're getting in there. Mm -hmm. um, tourists during that time that it stood uh, would go because you could get up inside and see the 360-degree panorama all around you of the whole of the Alexandria coastline. It was a great tourist attraction, and it still is today. But if you want to go see it, you have to have scuba gear because it's now an archaeological underwater park. And so here is what is left of the lighthouse at Alexandria. I, and as we look at these, I promise you this is a Bible study, not an ancient history course. But what it reinforces to me every time I consider these wonderful things is that God has planted in the heart of every one of us a desire and a need to worship. And when that innate created need is not centered on the true and the living God, mankind just goes wackadoo. And, it, and I'm talking about wonders. These things, y'all, are amazing. You consider there's no power tools. There's no heavy equipment. It's like a guy in a shovel is building over whatever degree of time at what expense something to honor a false god or goddess or to house a dead body. And what effort and time and energy mankind will pour into things that are temporal. It, it is a wonder, isn't it? It is. It is. 
totally agree. Um, no matter how grand and wonderful we think these things might have been, and they were, I will submit to you that they pale in comparison with the subject of our study. The subject of our study is true worship, and, and the author and the designer is God himself. We know that, God, that mankind looks at the appearance of things. Man looks at the outward, but God, Sharon? Looks at the heart. Indeed. And it is the heart of this tabernacle that we are going to study together this semester that will be our focus. And along the way, I believe you will find out a lot about your own heart as well. Yes, indeed. Now, we are going to hear and see something from you in February, are we not? Yes, I'm just speaking of the heart. A, just a little peek. Uh, put February 17th on your calendar, ladies. We have an exciting event here. We're doing a spiritual spa day. It's a pampering for your souls. It's nine to two. And it will be featuring the Supreme Makeover and Fashion Show that Womankind Ministries presents. So put it on your calendar. It's going to be exciting right here. It's a Saturday. And um, we're just, we're really excited. More information to come and pass the word. We're right. going to learn about the hidden person of the heart we are. during that that's day, it. aren't we? Indeed, that's the segue. That's right. That so it'll be, it. a great, yes. it'll be a great dovetail Indeed. between Indeed. this study and yes. that event. Who okay? is the hidden person of the heart and what's hiding her? Mm. Thank you cool. so much, Sharon, for sharing the mic with me. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yes. yes. Okay, turn with me, y'all. We're going to start the Bible study portion of our day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of you are thinking. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. We are going to have Sharon read for us verses 8 and 9. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. And as we get ready to Look at this wilderness tabernacle. I want you to know that it's known by several names. One of them is the tent of meeting, and that's just what it was. It was a tent. It had no form nor comeliness that anyone should desire it. It was a plain, ordinary structure, and yet it's the place where the glory of the living God chose to dwell with frail humanity. So here we go. Exodus, Exodus 25. 25, verse 8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. I think this is the greatest wonder in the history of the world, ancient times or modern times, that the God of creation the one that we sang that beautiful song in reference to as Robin led us this morning, who spoke the stars into being and holds them all in place to this good day, that the God of all creation would condescend to dwell over a tent with this group of people as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and beyond. It just boggles my mind. Uh, no ordinary tent, this, however, as you will see as we begin to peel back the layers. And again, we are going to look at the very heart and focus our study on the furnishings. And uh, I believe you will be blessed mm -hmm. along the way. Very, very excited to hear what you have to say, what the Lord has been showing you as we've been studying it together apart from this. So come back. All right. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate all your help.
Now, ladies, if you happen to be familiar with the story of Exodus, the, the Exodus, uh, you will remember that Israel plundered Egypt on the way out of town. After the 10 plagues, the Egyptians were so eager to see the back of these Hebrews that they were pulling the jewelry off of their persons and, and taking all of the treasure from their homes and almost throwing it at the Hebrews to get them to leave. And so as the Hebrews leave, they're carrying with them the riches of Egypt. The Bible says they plundered Egypt. 400 years of back wages were given to them in this one event. And if you will imagine in your mind's eye, you are a, a slave. And for the last 400 years, you and all of your ancestors in that 400-year period don't know this true and living God, the God of the Hebrews. But you're going to learn a lot about him on the way out of town. Uh, we, we are going to see that Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And I always just picture bits of soldiers' equipment and, and even bodies floating on top of that, that sea when the water comes back in and destroys Pharaoh's army. So if you're the last one of the three million Hebrews leaving the shoreline, you could look over your shoulder and see all of that carnage behind you. These people left... And we don't know their exact numbers, but estimates are somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million ragtag slaves, newly freed with their flocks and their herds, are now out there in the desert. And at early days, God himself invites Moses to come up on Mount Sinai and commune with him. They have a holy convocation there on top of Mount Sinai. And much happens during that time. If you have not read the book of Exodus, I highly recommend you do that over the course of this semester. But one of the things that takes place is that God says to Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle for me that I may meet with you there. That just blows my mind. He says, but I want you to take a free will offering from all the people. Now remember, they're carrying literally tons of gold and silver and bronze and precious stones and other costly materials. And he says to them, I want you to take an offering of anyone who is willing. The whole time he's telling Moses to do this, God knows that even as he's speaking the words, they're down below building a golden calf. They're telling the, uh, Moses' brother Aaron, build for us a god because that innate need to worship was not being satisfied. Moses had been out of their vision, out of their sight for a good bit of time. And I don't know if you have discovered this in your own life, but we have a problem waiting sometimes. And there is a propensity in the human heart toward what have you done for me lately? And so these people are saying, Moses is not coming back. So we need you, Aaron, to build for us a God. And they begin to pull the earrings and the jewelry off, and they give it to Aaron, and he builds them a God, lowercase g, the golden calf. And now God is telling Moses up there on the mountain, they've already invested in this fruitless thing. Now I want you to see if they have a heart to invest in something holy, in something eternal. Will they? be as eager to give to me, the true and the living God, as they were to this thing. Are you willing to invest 
in the Lord in that kind of way, to turn your back on the things of this world and to fully and completely worship the God of the universe. He is holy and he is worthy of all our praise. Now, estimates will vary about the uh, cost of building a tabernacle if you were to recreate it today, for example, because the cost of the price of gold and silver and all that varies from day to day. I don't know anything about it. All of my money was invested in raising children, not in you know, buying gold. So I don't know anything about how they measure and weigh gold. So I get online and I search it out. And the most recent estimate I could find was from 2015. The cost of building the tabernacle today, based on the information we have in the Bible, roughly $57 million. No wonder the Israelites wandering in the wilderness were the target of enemies. You could finance a kingdom because of what was hidden inside this humble tent. We have rough estimates that the amount of gold alone that was used, 2,800 pounds, that's about 1.4 tons. The silver that was used, 9,600 pounds. Y'all, that is almost five tons of silver. And bronze, 6,700 pounds. That's 3.35 tons of bronze used in construction. Nine, a little more than nine and a half tons just in the metals. That does not include all of the precious and semi-precious jewels and the oil for the um, anointing and for the incense that was used over the course of a 40-year period. The quantities are immense. And based on this outward appearance alone, no one would ever have dreamt what was hidden inside that tent. Because as I said before, it had no form nor comeliness that we should desire it. And that's a description of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is in every detail on every page. As we unfold this, you will see Jesus. What a wonder it will be to recognize the Lord Jesus as we go. The surrounding courtyard of the tent was just plain linen curtains. And only the Hebrews could approach the one and only door of the courtyard. But only a priest could enter the tabernacle. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And only one day of year with much ceremonial washing and the shedding of a great deal of blood. And as we look at each piece of furniture as we go, you are going to see some amazing types, models, shadows, if you remember from our Ruth study, similitudes that all point to Jesus Christ. And you know, they carried the shadow of all that he came to be and to do. But we don't carry a shadow. We carry the living God in the heart of every believer. Because what does this tabernacle look like today? Every time you look in the mirror, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are his child, you are the place where the glory of God dwells. And you carry him with you everywhere you go, bearing him to this lost and dying world, just like the Israelites did as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We are going to see Jesus Christ in us, through us, and for us as we go. If you will turn to Exodus chapter 19, you might be at the moment wondering, filled with wonder, how in the world was all of this possible? 
And put yourself in the mindset of those Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Now they are, it took roughly six and a half months to build the tabernacle. At this point, Exodus 19, they've been out in the wilderness for about three months or so. And all the while, they have seen God open his character and his ability to their understanding. Remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. They don't know this God. And he is their loving father, and he is so excited to show them, I am your provision. I am your strength. I am your protection. So what have they seen? Pharaoh's army destroyed. They've seen God make bitter water sweet. They've seen manna rain down from heaven. They've even seen a rock gush forth with a river of water. And all the while, they're being led a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Everywhere they go, God is a shield about them. And through it all, God is patiently teaching them about himself. They've known nothing but pagan worship. And now he is showing them what true worship looks like. And we will learn along with them that he is faithful and trustworthy. He is mighty to save, but he is also holy and deserving of all our worship. They needed water and God quenched their thirst. They needed food. He gave them manna. They needed protection from their enemies and God was a shield about them on every side. So look at chapter 19, verse 4. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This was God's purpose and his design for the Israelites, and it hasn't changed for you. God intends us to be a kingdom of priests, holy, set apart for him. This word holy is one of those church words. We use it without really looking at what it means. It means to be kept perfect and intact. You are in Christ Jesus, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Our word holy comes, uh, I mean, our word whole comes from this root word. And you have nothing lacking in Christ Jesus, and neither did they. But did you notice that God said, if you obey me? The same is true for us. If you want to worship the true and the living God, you show that to this lost and dying world by how you obey his commandment. To be holy simply means to be set apart. You are not going into a temple of Zeus. You are not going into a temple of Diana. You are not bowing down to a Pharaoh who is a man that can die but still thinks he's a god. You are going before the true and the living God. And we need to prepare our hearts as we do. The world is going to build temples to false gods and palaces for dead bodies. And moth and rust is going to destroy every one of them. But we are not of this world. We are set apart as pilgrims, as strangers in this land, as we wander through our pilgrimage. But we are called all the while by God, by God Almighty. He says, you are holy and blameless, and you have been declared so in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you anything other than that. You are, in God's eyes, holy and blameless. 
That's an amazing reason to worship him. We are complete in him, and because of that, we are holy. This earthly tabernacle of flesh that we inhabit has neither form nor comeliness that anybody should desire us either. But contained within us is the most glorious beauty of all, the beauty of holiness, that of Christ Jesus and him crucified. And you will see him crucified throughout every piece of this tabernacle furniture. But you will also see him buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven in glory. This is going to be a rich, deep study. And I pray that you will embrace it fully. You know, they tried to put Jesus in a tomb, but it couldn't hold him. He gave it back after three days. And he sits at the right hand of the Father even today, and I know that he must just look on us and smile as we begin to learn more about who he is. And who will you see as we continue next week and beyond? Well, first you're going to see the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then you will be invited to wash in the water of his word by none other than the living water himself. And then go through the one and only door. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. We'll enter into the tabernacle and we will see the light of the world in its most beautiful, exquisite pattern. And then be invited to his table where we will sit with him and commune with him and have fellowship with him and eat of the bread of heaven. And all the while, we will have our great high priest before us, interceding for us along the way as the beautiful fragrance of incense permeates everything about us. And then, because his, veil, his flesh was the veil which was torn at his crucifixion, the way is made open and plain for us to the mercy seat. Christ, our mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins. He is the ark of our salvation, and we will see all of this together as the semester unfolds. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Yeehaw! Okay, let's get on that. But first, let's pray. And Ronnie, come on up and lead us in the rest of the day. While she's walking, we're praying. Lord God, we would see Jesus. We would see him in every word on every page of Scripture. We ask, Lord, that as you led and guided the uh, Israelites in the wilderness, that you would guide us and direct our paths as we undertake this study. Lord, we want you to mold us and make us into something beautiful, something holy and wholly set apart for your good pleasure. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord.